See you this morning on this uh, kind of uh, spring day or weekend that we've had uh, leading into, though it's still winter, so don't get your hopes up, uh, but very thankful for some warm weather the past few days. Thank you guys for gathering with us, for joining with us, for being a part of our gathering here uh, this morning. My name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mission, and we want to thank you guys and welcome you um, to our church and for this opportunity to worship. Jesus, because for us, it is truly all about him. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Chapter 3 is where we're going to be hanging out today with a sermon titled, Christ Our Foundation. And so just so that this fits into the context of all that's happening in chapter 3, we'll preach the first part of chapter 3 last Sunday, and we'll preach the second half of chapter 3 Uh, today, but for continuity between both of those sermons and so that we all know kind of where we're heading is I want to read this entire chapter. So follow along with me uh, inside of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible located out in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as a gift from Mission Church to you. We strongly believe in Jesus and want to rest under and on the authority of his word today. And so if you don't hear anything else today, I pray that you will hear uh, this passage being read to you and that the Lord would arrest your heart as you hear these words. Let us read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not adjust you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that is any has excuse me, that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple 
and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are his temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Sin, Satan, and death all want to destroy you. Sin, Satan, and death wants to absolutely destroy everything about you. When sin entered into the world, not only did it break our relationship with God, but it has broken our relationship with ourselves and with other people. Sin, Satan, and death wants to absolutely ruin every relationship. Sin, Satan, and death is after the, the very meaning of your heart, so the very affections of your heart, and yet... Likewise, that sin, Satan, and death is, is open and is declared a war against, again, your hearts, your, your marriage, your friendships, your parenting, your relationship with your parents. That at its very core, the enemies of God want to ruin everything including the church. He does so by what? Again, destroying our hearts and our affections for God, by destroying our marriages, by destroying our parenting, by destroying our, our friendships, by destroying our families, by destroying the interactions that we have with our neighbors. All these things are at the very hands of Satan himself, at, at the very sinful nature of, God, uh, of the enemy as it is seeking to ruin these things and all things that are God's that are holy. They want to destroy them. And we're seeing and peering into 1 Corinthians what begins to take place and happens as sin, Satan, and death gets a foothold or some sort of grip on individuals, but then also the corporate gathering, also the church. Because if sin, Satan, and death can destroy the church and its mission then that mission to the world no longer begins to take place. Paul is addressing these people whom he loves because the members of that church, those people who belong to that church, believe that they are wise, and yet they are foolish. They believe and consider themselves to be mature. 
and even spiritually mature. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul addresses them, as we saw last week, as being very immature. There's divisions, the Bible tells us, in this church. There's strife. There is jealousy. There is a lack of humility. There is a lack of wisdom. Paul tells us within this passage that Christ, in verse 10 here, let's look at that passage, or those verses, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation in someone else's building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for, <clears throat> for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if we remember the text and context of this passage is that, that Paul, some years back, has planted this church. He went there to these pagan people. They were wild. They were immoral. We'll learn more about that in the next few weeks. They were absolutely crazy. And he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in this worldly place, in this worldly center, uh, city, and Jesus begins to save people. He begins to build his church through the planting of the gospel. After about 15 to 18 months, Paul leaves there to go plant another church in another city, leaving elders, teachers, deacons, people to help lead this church and continue to grow that, that church in spiritual depth. And as it plummeted spiritually to the depths of who God is and his word, then guess what happened? Multiplication took place. These other teachers were people like Apollos. That's why Paul tells us that he planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who, what, brought the growth that we talked about last week. Now, all of us in this room, all of us who are truly in Christ, have different roles and different responsibilities. There are some of us who are really loud talkers, and God decides, hey, I'm going to put this fool up front to preach, while others are making sure that we've got toilet paper in the bathrooms. And I don't know about you, but both of those are extremely important to me. Extremely valuable to have both of those people to do those things. And so what Paul is saying is that within this church, there are these divisions. There are these broken relationships. There are these immature people walking around as though they're wise. And the way that they're handling conflict is extremely childish. And one of the conflicts that they have is, is the boasting about who was greater. Was it Paul that planted the gospel or was it Apollo? So maybe we could put into any kind of YouTube or TV preacher to say, man, now that person has really got it. That preacher, that teacher, man, they have really been something to me. They've really got it where your guy doesn't. Again, childishness. Paul is saying that both of these brothers, in this case, Apollos and Paul, have their place, that they're actually they're on the same team, that both are valuable, that both have a role. But this and other issues, again, are causing these major problems. And so Paul says he uses kind of three different examples here. Last week, we, we saw him call the church and that the church is like a child or where it should be like an adult. 
that maturity is not really about the number of years that you have on the planet, but it really is a state of mind in that being able to take knowledge and apply that knowledge, which is what we call wisdom. And so Paul uses the illustration of a nursing child or a child in diapers, and he says, man, you're still like that baby, and yet you should be teaching, you should be disciple-making, you should be preaching, you should be beyond this place, but you're not. And then he goes from there, and he uses this illustration of farming. I've wanted to be a lot of things in my life, but farming is not it. That's a hard work. And yet we see this kind of agricultural illustration from childhood now to farming, but today's passage, he's going to take that even further and and call the church to be a building. And yet there's a key thing which is in this building, and what we're talking about is that you did not come to church today, but rather the church gathered in this place today. We are the church. The people are the church of God. We see this even in this passage. But there's nothing really sacred or, or, or outstanding or super spiritual about 1200 Old Barren River Road. But rather, it's the people that make up its membership that are partners here in its mission and vision that we are the church of God. And sin, Satan, and death wants to destroy that church. And yet, what does Paul remind us of? He reminds us here in this passage that there is within this building, within the church, that there is a cornerstone, that there is a foundation stone, for no one can lay upon a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Even Jesus tells Peter before he dies buried and is resurrected, that Jesus tells Peter that that upon this rock that he will build his church. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, who would probably grow up being a carpenter like Joseph was, was probably more about working with mason, like being, uh, working with concrete and rocks and all of these sorts of things that, that often Jesus would use similar illustration in describing himself as long as Paul, and as well as Paul would as well. That there is this idea, that there is this concept, that there is this truth, that above all things within the church, that the church must be built on the foundation that is Jesus and his word. And yet it appears that within this congregation, that people are trying to build on nothing and what they're trying to build and that they're calling church is not like the illustration and example that we see in Jesus. We see in this passage that was just read to you, read to you that, that it is for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is Christ Jesus. And that we here in this passage are to let each one take care of how he builds upon it. So that every one of us, according to this passage and what Jesus is trying to show us in this passage, what Paul is concerned about is that if sin, Satan, and death is wanting to divide, then for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us that are a part of the true biblical church, that our foundation is Christ, and if that is the case for every one of us, then there can be unity in the body. It's the opposite of division. 
Paul is saying Jesus foundation. What is built upon that is laid with much care by every single person that is a member of the local church. Whose responsibility is to aid to the building of the church? It's the pastor's job. Eh. No, it's every Christian's job to build the church. But notice How we build it, how we care for this is extremely important to Jesus. That it should be taken care of carefully. That each person is contributing to the building of what we're calling or what Jesus calls his his bride. That this is the body of Christ and that every one of us must be building upon this firm foundation which is Jesus and him alone. The idea of being a part of church because of what you get out of it is a misdirect. It's actually deception from sin, Satan, death. Oftentimes, when trying to figure out a new church, we call it church shopping, which I actually absolutely hate that term. And oftentimes, you can feel when people are trying to to potentially join and become members, it's what do you have to offer me? What do we get from this? What do my kids get? What do my teenagers get? What do we get from this? And yet, the picture that we see from Jesus and from the New Testament is this idea of though it's not about what we get. That just happens, spiritually speaking, when we give, when we contribute, when we care, we receive. Later on, Paul will write to this other church. It's in Ephesus. And in Ephesus chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, inside your Bible, it says this. Notice, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, that imagery of building. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also were being built together into a dwelling place by God's or for God by the Spirit. What's he saying? Well, he's reiterating these same principles. And he's reminding us that if your life and my life are are built on two different foundations, then there will be a great difference in the way that you see and how you experience life in this world. If, If your life is built on Jesus and his word, and my life is built on the worldliness of this world and the wisdom of this world, then the way that you and I are going to live our lives as individuals, the way that you and I are going to live in our marriages, how we're going to parent, how we're going to be a kid, how we're going to be friends, how we're going to be neighbors, all of those things are going to be exact antithesis of each other. That's a big college word for you. As being the opposite of each other. They're, they're literally coming at each other. They're each other's enemies. Why? Because of that foundation. And Paul is deeply concerned because what's taking place within the church? There's divisions. 
There are people who are claiming to know Jesus, who are claiming to follow after Jesus, and yet they're acting immature. They're looking like the world. Why? Because when you scale back all the layers and you get down to the root, that the fruit issues that were out on the surface were really because there was great disease and cancer within the roots, within the foundation. It's what you can't see in each other. That's why, friends, sometimes if you are a follower of Jesus and you're talking to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus or who's a pretender, man, you can sound really strange and really odd in how you see life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, politics, what's happening in the world. And yet if we have Christ as the foundation that our lives are built upon, that, man, there is great unity in the body when that is taking place. Paul is saying that this is extremely serious. Notice in verse 12 through 13, Now if anyone builds on the foundation which, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, or hay, or straw, each one's work will, uh, will become manifest for the day. Notice that inside of your Bibles, the word the day there is capitalized. What is Paul addressing? He's addressing the return of Jesus, Right? He's, he's talking about the return of Christ, also known as, as Judgment Day. It's, it sometimes is used inside the Bible to talk about the day of the Lord. That is when Jesus is coming back for his bride. He will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate from those who belong to the local church and to the global church from those who do not. And he's saying that, man, we can all be going through the motions, you ever pretended in your life, and I'm not talking about at Halloween. You ever pretended? Man, it can be really easy to pretend Christianity. And yet, the Bible is reminding us this morning, man, if there, there, if there are people out there who are, again, building, and they, and they look like you, and they, they look like me, but, but if, when, it, when it's all said and done on the day of judgment, that in the refining fire of God's Holy Spirit is that he's going to melt away all the things and separate, man, these are, are the motives and the people who, who did this in pursuit after Christ. These are the people who built upon the church, but why? Because the foundation was Christ. And, and these folks over here, I mean, they were building something for their own accord. They were really about the kingdom of self. And so what Paul is getting at, man, is that this is extremely serious. He goes on, why, to say this in those next few verses, in, in verses 16 to 17, because you're the temple of God. Now, if you were here during Exodus, we could go way back and talk a lot about tabernacles and temples. But at the conclusion of all of those things, what did we see last year through the book of Exodus? Is that in Jesus, he destroys all of the concepts of, of these really worshipful, like we worship the building. That this idea of God's presence being more here in this space than he is in your living room today. 
is a, is a really messed up concept if you think, man, we just go to this place and that's where God's presence dwells. Now, we learn from the scriptures that if you are in Christ, that the Spirit of God rests and dwells inside of each of us. Now, I've got a couple of 80s references today. The first one is this, is that um, some of you guys who may be a little bit uh, older than me, but when I was a kid, there was this cartoon named Voltron. This is pre-Power Rangers. Everybody follow me? Same concept, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers just ripped it off of Voltron. Okay, they're, they're cheaters. But it was this idea of, of these different animal robots. Everybody follow me? Right? And when the bad guys showed up, these different robots, you had the Red Ranger and the Blue Ranger, the Green Ranger, right? And, but when, they, when the bad monsters showed up, they could not individually fight off the enemy. And so what did they have to do? Captain Planet also did this if you remember that cartoon. But they had to unite their forces in order to defeat the enemy. Each one brought a different skill set, some with the legs, some with the arms, some with the sword, some with the chest, some with the head, all these sorts of things. And they formed this big robot in order to defeat the enemy. Well, our foundation is Jesus, but we can't bring all that is needed within ourselves. The Bible is reminding us that, that we need each other to defeat the enemy. And yet, what's taking place inside of this church? There's great division. There's great problems. Their foundation has become shaky. And then he equates this to what we've seen over and over again over the last few chapters is that he begins to equate this, what, these problems to a lack of true biblical wisdom. If you are seeing the world and living like the world, then your foundation isn't Christ. It's in the foolishness of the world. And yet he calls us to be in Christ, to be wise for the wisdom of God, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or present or the future, all are yours, and you are whose? Christ. And Christ is God. See, we can be so easily deceived in believing that we've got it all together. Be so easily deceived that now I'm I'm mature. As an adult, don't you really hate it when people kind of call you out on your immaturity? It goes something like this. Well, you're being really immature about this. No, I'm not. You hurt my feelings. Isn't that how we often act? None of you, right? Sometimes Laura tells me that's how I act. All right? Maybe it's just me. Right? You get an argument, and... Uh, Laura has said this to me before because I'm, I'm loud, in case you can't tell this. You have to be loud in my family or you don't get heard. So I'm loud. I grew up loud. My entire family's loud. And um, we will get in disagreements, right? And she will say things like, stop yelling, right? 
And I'll say things like, I'm not yelling! Right? You ever done that before? You need to stop yelling at me. Oh, I'm not yelling. Now, now I'm yelling. The word is calling us out on our immaturity. This is how we act in church. I grew up going to a church where after the singing, they would dismiss the kids to children's church. They could go back in the back room and usually had goldfish and like Kool-Aid, play games, learn a little Bible story, children's church. And what Paul is addressing here is he's looking at a bunch of adults and saying, you're adults, but you're you're playing children's church. You're dividing over things that you shouldn't be dividing over. And the thing is, it's because you have different foundations. And there is only one foundation. And it's Jesus. What's, what's cool about this is that uh, uh, Paul is really addressing them in the words of Christ himself. We all know that, that, that Paul is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But if we actually go back to the teachings of Jesus, we see this played out before even Paul is going to address this. So um, inside of both Luke and Matthew, uh, Jesus preaches this, the greatest sermon ever known, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount right? Maybe you've heard of it. It's, it's several chapters in those two gospels where, where Jesus is laying it out. I mean, he's on top of the mountain and man, he is, he is preaching and preaching and preaching on all aspects of life. And he's being very practical in his approach. I mean, he, he's talking about, you know, blessed are the poor. He, he talks about divorce. He, he talks about all of, all of these things that happen within the life. Why? Because he's trying to establish from the very beginning of his ministry that that all of life is really about me, that it's all about Jesus, that I am that foundation, that I am the one that the prophets have foretold about in the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is pointing about me. All of life is about me. Yes, I, I knitted together every fabric of creation. I was there. I made it all. It was for me. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I mean, think about this. This will blow your mind. Jesus made Mary his own mama. He gave her life. Jesus knows a thing about building. And what's interesting, though, is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, of both Luke's account and in Matthew's account, it's Jesus after he starts like just laying it down. He's like, do this, be like this. It's me, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, live like this, live like this, live like this, live like this, live like this. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he turns gears. And he he tells a story, and then he drops the mic. And the Bible essentially alludes that he just leaves it open-ended. Let's read this together in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, 
and great was the fall of it. Jesus gives us this parable. At the end of all of this practical stuff, says all of that has been pointing toward this. Notice, we, we see some characteristics inside this parable. We see two builders, right? We see two houses. We see two foundations. We see one storm, but yet two different outcomes. There's this wise man and this foolish man. Jesus uh, stresses the importance of hearing and following his words, right? He's been preaching probably for hours on the side of the hill in the heat on that day. And yet he stresses that to these people that are listening that, man, you've got to not only hear this word, but you also have to follow this word. The parable is illustrating and contrasting uh, the life of a person who is in Jesus and the life of a person who is not in Jesus. One who is built on the foundation of Jesus and the other one who is not built on the foundation of Jesus. Now, for, for years, as I read this story, I just imagined uh, kind of the two, to the two people, that there was a wise man who loved the mountains, so he built his house on a rock, and the other guy wanted the beach house. I'd be really torn between those two things. But I think that this is actually the wrong view of what was saying or what was taking place inside the passage. It's possible that Jesus is telling the story of two men who built a house right next to each other. They were neighbors. They were neighbors. It's believed that if you want to look into this, that the, the houses, they had the same square footage, that they were similar layouts, that they had similar home values. The parable is not that the foolish man's house is being built of necessarily inferior just construction, or that he only had cardboard boxes while the wise man had all of these strong materials. But no, it, it's, it's believed that the, the, the parable is implying that they had equal desire, that they had equal ability, that they had equal material, equal re resources, equal blueprints. It wasn't a flaw in the construction. It was a flaw in the heart of the builder. Luke's account gives us just a little bit more insight. In Luke chapter 7, verse 48, it says this, that the wise man dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Later on, that same passage, in that same chapter in verse 49 of Luke, he says, the one who hears my word and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. Notice that both of these men in the parable hear the words of Jesus. They both have been given the word. But one of them did not submit to him. <coughs> one of them did not submit to God's word. Here we get more clarity into the lives of these builders. Why is one of them wise and one of them foolish? 
both built beautiful homes. Again, they were, they were neighbors. But one took much longer, obviously. Why? Because he saw the value and the importance of not a quick fix. He chose to, to dig down to bedrock. He chose to dig deep, the Bible says, that he, he plunged the depth, like what is going to provide the, the most stable place for me, for my heart, for my family, is to, to dig down deep to the foundation, the foundation of the rock. While the other guy, the foolish man, wanted his house to be built simply and quick, what does the Bible tell us? It says that he just goes out there and he, he just plots that house right on top of the ground. And therein lies the problem. When Laura and I lived in Phoenix, one of the things that we quickly noticed about all the houses is that, that they build the houses on a concrete slab. That there's not a crawl space between like your bottom floor and the ground, like most Kentucky homes have. And the reason why that is because of the constant shifting of the sands underneath, that it, that it needs something more stable, that it needs that, that concrete slab to, to have that house built upon it, because the ground itself, if you just went out there and laid your house on just top of the ground, where your floor is resting on the dirt, where it's resting on the sand, then what happens when the monsoon season comes? It washes it away. Why? Because there is not this firm foundation. Jesus and Paul are addressing this idea that there are, are those who are completely content with shallow Christianity. There are churches that are completely content with shallow churchianity. They're completely content with being immature. They're completely content with being foolish, that they're completely content with being surface-level Christians. I mean, I know enough, right? I mean, I, I, said, I said a prayer, Pastor Eric. I got baptized, Pastor Eric. My, my preacher told me I was good, and here was my ticket to heaven. We're good. Let's just be shallow. And yet, what does Jesus remind us? That there is a storm that is coming. That there is a storm that is coming. But notice this storm comes to both houses. The storm comes to the foolish man and the storm comes to the wise man. That the storm comes to the faithful church and that the storm comes to the unfaithful church. Jesus is not suggesting that a firm foundation is necessary because a storm may come. He is stating that the storm is coming. The storm will come to both the just and the unjust, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
One did the hard work of putting their house on the rock while the other on the sand. One took time, the other was in a hurry. One, one had a microwave mentality while the other had a crockpot mentality. The foolish man wanted his time, his talent, and his treasure immediately. He wanted to see results. He cut corners while the wise man, wise man was patient and waited and paid attention to detail. One was satisfied with today's results while the other considered eternal results. We see this illustrated in the, the famous little you know, story about the three little pigs, right? The big bad wolf comes, the enemy comes, and you've either built your house out of straw sticks or bricks. We get the picture within this parable, and what Paul is saying is that, man, from the outward appearance is that, that both of these houses look very identical. Like if you go to my neighborhood, pretty much there are probably five to ten, something like that, layouts that you get to choose from if you built the house and you get to pick it out. But you can pretty much go from house to house and see that they're very similar four pans. It's, it's the picture of that, man, on this outward appearance of that, that all the, these people within the church, within the, in the individuals and these churches, man, from the outside can look really put together. Laura and I used to live next to a hoarder in a subdivision, and you would not have known it from their outside. And it wasn't until, sadly, till this family got a divorce that it was revealed that what was going on in the inside. was a problem. The issues were below the surface. You ever bought a house before? And you fall in love with that floor pan. Man, it's got the right amount of rooms that you need. You like the paint even. But you pay somebody, typically a whole bunch of money, to come walk around that house before you agree to buy it, don't you? It's called a home inspector. Now, the home inspector isn't looking at the drapes. He doesn't care anything about the color of the carpet, right? You're really paying him to get down on his hands and knees and to go down underneath your house, right? And to find out all the stuff that you and I can't find. Like you want him to be really good. Because what you don't want to do is go buy that house and, and, and then you find out later or begin to have problems that some of you have with drainage. Foundation cracks. Your wall starts cracking. You keep paying somebody to, pay, to paint it and to, and to spackle it and to paint it and to spackle it and the cracks keep coming back and yet you keep getting mad at this guy that you've hired because he can't do his job and then finally you come to realize that it's not really about the paint on those walls and the plaster and the drywall but rather it's a problem underneath the surface that is the issue. It don't matter if you like the floor plan. It don't matter if you like the paint. It don't matter about any of those sorts of things. If there's a major problem within the foundation, then, then you and I should walk away from the home because why? It's going to continue and perpetually cause you major anguish and pain. When I was a kid in the 80s, um, there was one particular movie that scared me to death. And looking back on it, it's rather corny. But at the time, I mean, it scared me. Poltergeist. You remember that movie? 
I mean, even right now, if I walk past like a snowy TV, I kind of get the jerks, right? Caroline, don't go into the light, right? That is a freaky movie, especially through the eyes of a kid. When that movie came out, the, the title or the catchphrase for the trailer said this, the house looks like just like the one next to it and the one next to that and the one next to that. Spoiler alert, there was something different about that house. And what was different about that house that looked like all the other houses around it was something that could not be seen. The people who built that house, again, sorry to ruin it for you, but it's been like 30, 40 years, okay? Sorry. <laughs> is that the people who built that house got lazy and they built that particular house over a cemetery. It wasn't like all the other houses. Its foundation was built on dead things. And it caused all kinds of problems. Likewise, Jesus is warning. Paul is, is warning these people whom he loves. Jesus is warning people whom he loves. He's telling them, man, live for Jesus. Live for holiness. Be rooted. Be founded. The storm is coming and depending on, on what your foundation, what you are built upon, what your life is built upon, what the church is built upon is, is going to determine whether or not it is going to stand firm in Jesus or if it will be washed away like the foolish man's house on the sand. The house appears to be normal. But you're either built on me, on Jesus, or you're either built on the dead and dying things of this present world. One is either on the straight and the narrow road, and yet when Jesus comes back, when the storm comes, if you are in Christ, then, then your faith will be made sight. All the other things will be washed away. All the other things won't, won't matter anymore. I love that new commercial it sounds like. I think when it's all said and done, we, we, uh, we won't be uh, wishing we had bought more stuff. When Jesus comes back, our concern won't be that we bought this or we bought that or we had this prestigious um, you know, uh, clout about us or, or that we lived in this place or we achieved all this success or had all this money in our bank account. No, what will happen is that the, when Jesus comes, all of our broken motives, all of the things that, that we have worshipped in spite of him will completely be washed away. But for those of us who are in Christ, you can be assured that you will be left standing because you stand upon him. And he lifts you. He keeps you. He carries you. The other can be built quickly and be admired by many, but it will be lost. 
the builders in their houses represent us in our lives. It represents the church. It represents we can either build it upon Christ or we can build it upon nothing, the Bible will tell us. We love to ask this question in this passage, and I've probably done it before. Well, what are you building your life upon? And Jesus is determining, Paul is determining as well, is that it's either Jesus or it is nothing. It's either Jesus and it's all about him or it's nothing. It's not about your marriage. It's not about your relationships. It's not about your kids. It's not about your job. It's not about your bank account. It's not about prestige. It's not about you being relevant and power and all these sorts of things. No, it's either built upon Jesus and that will stand or it will be washed away when the storm comes. We see from the Old Testament in words like Isaiah 28, behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. In the book of Acts, it will go on to say this, let it be known that all of you and to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. true. Friends, your immaturity, your growth, my immaturity, my growth, what I'm being built upon, what we as a congregation are, are being built upon is going to be greatly affected, yes, by, by, by storms within our lives. Some of you are in the midst of those storms. Even in our church this week, we've had several people lose loved ones. I think about uh, Miss Amanda, who usually sings with me. She lost both of her grandfathers within a 48-hour period, both of them. Yet simultaneously, Ian and Darcy welcome little Agnes. Life and death. Your heart is a wreck right now. Your emotional health is a wreck right now. Your, your physical health maybe is a wreck right now. All of those are, are preacher terms. We love to use those ideas for storms, and all of that can be true. Your, your parenting is completely falling apart. Your, your marriage is falling apart. That's why we would even say, is like, man, don't be unequally yoked with someone. Don't, don't be with someone just because they profess to be a Christian, but, but you need to, to examine the fruit that is being produced from them. Why? Because if there's unity in the body when it's built on Jesus. And right now, some of you are going through it. You have broken relationships, broken ideas. You're, again, job, money issues. All of these are storms. And I can't tell you how many times that, that when these storms of life come, and they're coming, how many people walk away from their faith when their favorite preacher has done something they shouldn't do? How many people walk away from the church because the church didn't meet all of their expectations? How many of us is our faith being built upon someone else's faith and we're good until those people break our trust and then our faith often crumbles? How many people have walked away because they've lost a loved one? How many people have walked away because they had a miscarriage or they lost a child? 
How many people have walked away from the church, have walked away from Jesus? We love to use this term of deconstruction, yet the Bible is all about constructing. Constructing on the person and work of Jesus. See, those who are left standing, even in the worst of experiences, the worst of these earthly storms, those who are foundation in Christ, though they, they bend and they swave as they're being beat upon the waves of suffering and tribulation in their lives, if they are in Christ, then they remain in Christ. They believe even in their unbelief. Why? Because of what they're built on. That church remains. Why? Because of what they're built on. But so many people, when the storms of life come, they, they're washed away with the culture and the world and the wisdom of the world. We're going to look like this. We're going to dress like this. We're going to sound like this. We're going to act like this. I'm, I'm anti now all of this. Why? Because I had some real pain. And it's not to belittle the pain in your life. It is real and yet it is not wasted in the hands of Jesus. But Jesus is coming at something even deeper here. He's saying that there's a bigger storm than these earthly sufferings. And the storm that is coming is actually in the hand of God. That is the wrath of God. That is the day of judgment. That is the return of Christ. It is the year and the day and the moment when Jesus comes to get his bride. Jesus is warning of that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I believe that Paul is, is picking up that, that same idea. He's like, church, please come back to Jesus. Be built upon Christ. The day is coming, and these preachers who are peddling the gospel and the ones who are being faithful, he's going to work all through that. The, the people who are belonging to a church, but, but it's really about what they can get from it instead of what they can give to it. Yes, Jesus is going to handle all of those things. Jesus and Paul are speaking about the return, the return of Christ that we will know those who are truly built and those churches that were truly built upon Christ and those that were counterfeits. And yet there's hope for those of us who are in Jesus. That we will remain. Because he remains. The local church can experience division, jealousy, strife, and, and be even destroyed the members of the true church, the members of those who are truly on the foundation of Christ, who have built their lives and their churches upon Jesus, will be there. They will stand. Why? It's not built on us. It's built on him. Mission Church. 
will we be a people built on Christ? Because because here's the thing, is like, man, every church, just like every marriage, every relationship goes through difficult times. This passage isn't telling us, again, that it will all be easy. No, it's saying it's going to be really hard. And sometimes you're going to say things to offend people. Sometimes you're going to have a bad attitude. Sometimes you're going to do some very ungodly things. And Christians aren't void of doing those things. But you know what they are? Because of the Holy Spirit resting inside of them. It's not just that we, we, we do bad things, because guess what? We, we do sinful things, but it's how we respond after we do them. That's the, 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 the signature of wisdom. That's the signature of maturity. And Paul doesn't want the church to be divided. He wants them to be unified. So that it can be built. Not so it can just be wide. That's what the Church of America loves is wide growth. But I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, what good is it if the church is a mile wide in numerical growth and an inch thick? But rather, man, let us dig deep, Mission Church. So that if God so chooses to make us wide, that we had the firm foundation. Some of you have heard this from me and Justin and Todd for years, but this is our pastoral prayer. Lord Jesus, if we must remain small to remain faithful, keep us small. Because if we became big according to the world's standards, but we were built on something other than Jesus, other than his word, then it will not stand. So let us, in the words of a children's church song, let us be deep and wide. Deep and wide. For his fountains flowing. Deep. Let's pray.